0: hey everybody welcome to episode 200 of the sparking wholeness podcast i started this podcast in the fall of 2019 not at all anticipating what would happen that following spring of 2020 when the podcast exploded when it felt like the whole world was put on a hold. And so this podcast has been an incredible surprise for me. I wanted to start the podcast because I wanted to be able to interview experts all about nutrition and functional medicine and integrative health and how we can connect mind, body and spirit to find lasting wholeness. And out of these 200 episodes, I have enjoyed every single one of them. There has not yet been a guest where I thought Ooh, i'm not quite sure if i'm gonna air that one everybody that i've been able to interview has just been incredible and so if you are listening to the sparking wholeness podcast for the first time this is episode 200 there are 199 other episodes that you can listen to and learn from and i know for me I have learned from everybody. So I am just so blessed by this podcast and so thankful for you listeners who some of you have been around since the beginning. Some of you are newer. I have listeners from all over the world and just this last week on Chartable, which is a podcast charting network we reach number one in global health and fitness trending podcasts and also in the usa health and fitness category so while i don't know if i would necessarily put this podcast in health and fitness all the time because we definitely touch on so much more i love that um We're making a name in, in that world, because I think a holistic perspective of health and fitness is really key to living a life of wholeness. All right. So I will stop there because today is a special ask me anything episode, and I can't wait to dive into some of the questions that you, as the listeners of this podcast have wanted me to touch on. And so the first one that I'm going to talk about, and I'm going to talk about, let me see my list here. I've got eight questions and I'm going to try to tackle all of these in under 40 minutes. Let's see if I can do it. So the first question I got is what are just some basic healthy swaps that we can be making to improve our lifestyle, to improve our health? Let's start with oils. Stop buying refined seed oils. These oils include vegetable, corn, sunflower, safflower, soybean, and canola. Yes, even canola. I know we were told it was healthy for a very long time, but there are two reasons that we wanna avoid this type of oils. One, the processing these oils have gone through cause oxidation and that creates damage to our cell membranes. We want our cell membranes to be healthy and allow nutrients in when cells are damaged. We get a buildup of oxidative stress and our body struggle to detoxify from the free radical damage that is being caused by this overload. If your body is incapable of biotransforming and excreting toxins, then your body's going to struggle with all sorts of health issues. We need good, healthy fats to support the process and we need nutrients. If our bodies are receiving an overload of the wrong kinds of fats, the process stalls. The other reason that we really want to limit these seed oils is because they may create an imbalance in omega-3 and omega-6 ratios. When omega-6s outnumber omega-3s, we have more inflammation, period, Nobody wants that. So that's a big reason that we want to stay away from those oils. So here's what you can do for healthy swaps. You can swap extra virgin olive oil for lower heat room temperature items for higher heat. You can go for grass-fed butter or ghee beef. Tallow is another option, organic coconut oil, or even avocado oil. As of right now, avocado oil is still healthy, but go for a brand like chosen foods to guarantee it truly is avocado oil, not laced with something else. To start limiting your oils, check labels. Buy peanut butter that includes one ingredient, peanuts. I know Jif tastes good, but guys, that stuff is just not going to be health-promoting for you on a cellular level. Buy packaged processed foods that don't have added canola or vegetable oil. Stop buying bottled salad dressing that says low-fat or sugar-free. Chances are those are loaded in seed oils too. The same thing goes for low-fat mayo or mayo in general and any sauces that you buy. Check to see what added oils they contain. Start becoming familiar with reading ingredients. Same goes for looking for added sugar while we're on the topic. Check your labels for any of the sauces that you have, especially things like pasta sauce. Look for the simple ingredients. My favorite pasta sauces that contain no added sugar is... Oh boy. And now I forgot the name of it. It's the kind at Aldi, which is the organic version they have there. And also the Rao brand R A O. I love that one. It tastes so good. And you don't really have to add much to it to doctor it up. It already tastes great. Check your breads for these oils as well. A lot of gluten-free breads use seed oil. So a lot of people will go gluten free and have gluten-free breads, seeing that they're healthier, but the ingredients may not be. So be aware of that many snack bars, crackers, and of course, chips that we feed our kids use vegetable oils or these refined seed oils. So when in doubt, go for organic as much as possible. And when we're talking about chips, tortillas, sauces, the brand Siete is doing a really good job of having quality food. Sometimes it is pricier than other options, but if you, you know, check your local deals at your stores that you go to, and you can usually find some good deals on those. Once you start minimizing these oils, you will see the consumption of overly processed foods dramatically decrease. And I assure you, you are going to see changes in your family's health, whether it's behavior, health, mood issues, sleep support, you name it, switching up those oils makes a huge difference. So if that's the only thing that you do, that kind of a swap will pay out massive dividends in your health i've actually never said that phrase before but it works for this okay so let me tell you a quick little secret and this is how i create balance in my life but i actually buy chick-fil-a sauce for my kids and it contains soybean oil which i like try to stay away from at all costs but i also avoid the restaurant chick-fil-a like the plague because of how horrible it makes me feel and all of the msg it contains so The Chick-fil-A sauce that I get is one allowance that I make for my kids. And I feel okay about that. So real quick, let's talk about why do we want to choose organic? Why would we swap the regular foods that we've always gotten that we grew up with? Why would we swap those for organic? Well, pesticides are starting to become more and more documented to alter microbial balance in the gut and inhibit absorption of vitamins and minerals. So really, if you think about it, what's the point of eating something healthy if we're not going to get the full nutrient benefit? It doesn't make sense. So be sure to check out the Environmental Working Group's list of Dirty Dozen and Clean 15 Produce to know what 15 items are going to be the least contaminated that you don't have to buy organic. This is gonna save you a lot of money. And then the rule of thumb typically is the thicker the skin that you don't eat, the least amount of concern from pesticides. So something like grapes, strawberries, apples, or blueberries, where you eat the skin, you eat all of it Buy organic, same thing for bell peppers, same thing for any leafy greens, try to get those organic, get them from a farmer's market, right? We've, we got grapes recently for the first time this summer, because we found an organic option at sprouts that were on sale. They are hard to find, and they do tend to cost a lot when you go, go organic. So again, Check your family's budget check the sales make this work for you and your family with meat and dairy try to find grass-fed organic pasture raised wild caught etc as much as possible make friends with a farmer you know like look into any local groups that are going to be distributing meat that is grass-fed and less contaminated with hormones and antibiotics and all that kind of a thing i'm huge on protein i think it's really really important for all of us to get protein because Protein helps to create our neurotransmitters, but I'm also really big on supporting my hormones and my gut. When the animals that we are eating have been fed lots of hormones and antibiotics to fatten them up for mass production, what do we think that they're going to be doing for our bodies when we consume them? we are what our food eats. So keep that in mind. With fish, stay away from farmed fish. There have been reports of hermaphroditic fish in the water due to birth control pills and other hormonal contaminants. So that's not something we really want to mess with. The way that your fish are raised absolutely makes an impact on your health as well. And speaking of hormone health, I've got to talk about this. Most conventional corn and sugar has been sprayed with something called atrazine. Atrazine has many well documented dangerous effects on the endocrine system. In fact, one study saw male frogs turning female due to the effect of atrazine contaminating the water supply. The feminization and chemical castration of other animals has also been documented. Now, these are animals not people, but I think supporting hormones is always a really great idea, especially as fertility rates continue to decline and estrogen dominance is a symptom that we are seeing in both males and females. So when I buy sugar and anything with corn, you better believe that I go organic. It isn't hundred percent guaranteed that there isn't cross-contamination, but do what you can with what you have. Now, let's see, what else do I make sure to look for on labels for some people? So this is where you get to work it for you. For some people, it's cleaning up the oils, cleaning up the processed foods. For some people, I have a friend who is very similar minded to me, and she just focuses on making sure she gets her kids the most quality animal protein and meat that she can. And I think that's important too, because we get a lot of nutrient density from things like red meat and chicken and um, fish and all of that. So When we're talking about labels, I make sure, like I said, there are no seed oils. I look for organic when it comes to processed food, and I really make sure to avoid MSG or yeast extract, which is another name for MSG. There are a few others that you can look up as well. And any artificial food colors or artificial sweeteners, MSG totally hooks my brain and makes me unable to stop eating it. Two examples of that are dots pretzels, which I just, I can't, I stay away from those and Doritos with artificial sweeteners. Aspartame is now being classified by the world health organization as a potential carcinogen and sucralose is damaging to the gut and can trigger anxiety or migraines. It's common in things like carb balance, tortillas, yogurts, protein powders, things like Pedialyte or kids, vitamins and kids medicine, like ibuprofen chewables. So again, it's so important to read your labels. Now, remember back when I was talking about oils and how our bodies must be able to biotransform and excrete toxins this is a really, really big deal. When we are overly consuming processed foods that aren't really real foods, our body gets a nutrient drain. So picture a bathtub, the bathtub faucet is on, but the drain is open. You're filling up on lots of calories and content, but you're not getting enough nutrients and any nutrients you are getting are blocked by the chemicals in the food. So again, there's a drain there what does your body need to get rid of toxins? Not just toxins in our food, but the toxins that we get from our air and our household products and fragrances and in anything we're exposed to the body needs whole food sources of nutrients, vitamins, minerals, amino acids. So wherever you can get your whole food sources, do it. Vegetables, fruit, good quality animal products, nuts seeds legumes herbs and seasonings make the majority of what you consume from simple whole food ingredients. And that is going to help support the biotransformation of any toxins you're exposed to. And then the excretion downstream of these toxins. So you are not storing. Keep in mind that while many people are concerned with the rising rates of obesity, I don't believe we have an obesity epidemic. I believe we have a toxin epidemic because our fat cells are incredibly protective at storing toxins for us. This is another reason And while I'm on my soapbox, I will say it. This is another reason that I'm not a big fan of anything that's going to cause rapid weight loss, because if you are losing weight and your body has not been prepared to detoxify and to operate on a level of flushing out toxins, then your body is going to store those toxins somewhere else. And let me be honest with you. I would much rather store my toxins in my hips, maybe even my waistline than in my vital organs. Okay. So just keep that in mind. All right. So for parents, I do want to talk to you because everybody's starting back to school and we want to make sure that we are feeding our kids healthy brain boosting options. Really try to stop buying sweetened drinks, they don't need them. They don't, they don't need the extra glucose because pretty soon at some point, the insulin output is going to suffer as a result. They don't need cereal. They don't need to start their day with cereal. I know we all did it, but it's not doing anything for the brain at the brain level. They don't need flavored chips. They will be fine on salted popcorn. We really like the lesser evil brand at my house, or just plain tortilla chips that are organic. When you limit it from your home, I promise they're still going to encounter it in other places. And then when they do, you don't have to freak out about what they get at a party or a friend's house or church, because, you know, they feed them goldfish at church, (laughs) but you are packing them full of nutrients at home. And when you know that you're packing them full of nutrients at home, they're getting everything that they need. They're going to be able to bio transform and detoxify from anything that their body does not recognize as real food. So in our house, we love grass-fed meat sticks. We do try to eat organic yogurt as much as possible for protein sources. Um, peanut butter, that's the organic, no sugar added peanut butter. We do peanut butter and jelly sandwiches with upgraded ingredients that are organic and not filled with excess high fructose corn syrup or sugar. And then my kids eat a ton of fruit and vegetables. When you give your kids plenty of protein, they will not be hangry for processed snacks. And really think about this because I've been a parent now for, it'll be almost 20 years now. Processed food does not fill my kids up. They can go through a whole bag of chips and still be hungry. So when we're giving our kids the nutrients that keep them full and keep their mood stable, that's a really great way to save money because then you're not buying a whole lot of processed things. It's not actually filling them up. And it's just keeping them asking for more, a quick note on gluten, because we are going to talk a little bit about this more, but I do avoid gluten foods for myself because of the risk of enhanced intestinal permeability, also known as leaky gut, that increases for anyone who consumes wheat, regardless of the quality of wheat, it can break down the intestinal lining for all people, though the degree in that definitely varies. So since I struggled with my mental health for so long. And I was on medication that causes alteration and gut bacteria and intestinal inflammation. I feel much better when I don't eat gluten for anyone with autoimmune issues, digestive struggles, mental health concerns. It is worth a shot to try to eliminate gluten because it has been well-documented to exacerbate issues in people. Now I don't eat gluten-free bread because I think it tastes awful. And I really don't love the ingredients. I'm fine without bread. For my kids, the only gluten that we have at home is organic wheat bread or sourdough. They tend to do better with limited gluten, but they're also okay with a little bit every day in the form of regular bread. I will talk more about gluten later, like I said, so I'm just going to pause there. Now what do I do when I want to buy a cake mix or a brownie mix? What is the swap for that? Well, most of the time I make it by scratch. Did you know that the, when the big food companies first started promoting products like Betty Crocker, they found that using a mix really didn't save that much time. Time. but they sell well. And everybody loves the idea of buying something from Betty Crocker because she seems like a nice lady or Duncan Hines seems like a nice dude. I mean, just look at all the options on a baking aisle. There are so many mouthwateringly delicious options. I still, to this day, I don't buy the stuff, but I love walking down the aisle to see what they've come up with. I think a lot of the new creations are so clever. So if I do want to mix, I will get the Miss Jones brand. It's pretty simple, clean ingredients. I like simple mills or I like Bob's red mill or King Arthur for gluten-free options. But most of the time I just stick to baking by scratch and just throwing the ingredients together. It really does not take that much more time. So in fact, on that, Today, I'm going to be making pumpkin muffins for my kids that I'm going to freeze so that they can have it for school mornings for something quick and tasty to eat. I will add collagen protein powder in there or some other protein powder that we have on hand. And sometimes I'll add something like zucchini. I have a great recipe in my kid's recipe book for what is called sneaky veggie muffins. And I'll add the link to get that in my show notes. If you are interested in that recipe. Okay. So the other question that I got was talking about getting to the root of anxiety. Is it possible to get to the root of anxiety instead of addressing symptoms? I really found this question fascinating to me because in a world of what I would consider to be over pathologization of mental states, we tend to think of anxiety in a negative lens instead of an alert system. Can anxiety be all consuming and debilitating? Yes, absolutely. It can. Does it impact your entire body Yes, it is a medical disorder that is physiological in nature. It's not just in your brain. It is happening at the whole body level as well, but keep in mind, there is no blood test or lab work that gives you the diagnosis of anxiety. The diagnosis of anxiety is based on a set of symptoms. It's based on a checklist while you definitely can be plagued by chronic anxiety or a chronic or an anxiety disorder, right? Naming it doesn't give you an indication of what is actually going on to cause it. And it doesn't give you an indication of what kind of a treatment that's going to be long lasting. We do have many medications available and many of those work very well in the short term, but the studies on long-term efficacy, and if it really does enhance quality of life long-term, that is yet to be determined. So Again, there's nothing wrong with treating symptoms. Now, when most people talk about receiving treatment, they're talking about medication, but medication is only one tool. There are so many other tools to help support anxiety. And with medication, just to make sure that we emphasize that there are always risks of side effects. There are always risks of creating dependency or the fact that the medication might not work or worsen symptoms. That is very much a risk, especially when we're talking about adolescence on medication. And if that's the road that you need to go down to feel temporary relief, great. Remember I was medicated for 18 years, but while you are doing that, it makes sense to also start unraveling the layers of anxiety to see what is at the root cause. So what are some root causes of anxiety. There can be so many trauma is a huge root cause nervous system dysregulation. If your body has been stuck in fight or flight for a very long time, it's going to create symptoms of anxiety, blood sugar issues, blood sugar that is unstable, that can be at the root of anxiety, food sensitivities. A lot of times what we don't realize is there are foods that we can be sensitive to that are creating more anxiety that affect us on a brain level, toxicity, toxins that we're exposed to things like mold or things like The pesticides in our food that I've already talked about lack of proper sleep due to sleep apnea or poor air filtration in the home or exposure to toxins at night. Like I said, like dust, like mold, things like that can create more anxiety because your body is not getting sufficient air oxygen at night. And so you wake up feeling exhausted and that creates an anxiety spiral. Artificial sweeteners are a huge trigger for anxiety. Things like sucralose, things like aspartame food dyes, other additives, like I said, MSG, when we're talking about food, that can be a big one being in an unhealthy relationship or a toxic relationship that can create anxiety. Having a child with a chronic illness or a child that is just difficult that can create anxiety as well. Any other life struggle can create anxiety. So we're talking about treating anxiety naturally this could look like making food changes so that blood sugar is stable one tool that i like to use with people is if you are feeling panicky if you're feeling like you're going to have a panic attack take a spoonful of all-natural peanut butter or almond butter have that and see how you feel in a few minutes does your anxiety decrease a little bit if so maybe you don't necessarily have anxiety. You have pretty fluctuating blood sugar and that's manifesting in anxiety. So that could be a tool, have some protein. This is what I do for one of my kids. That is just a little more sensitive than my other ones. I can tell when he's amping up in his behavior and when he just seems really scattered or frazzled, I will ask him eat a meat stick. When he eats a meat stick, If he instantly calms down, which is like 99% of the time that that's what happens, then I know that he was just having blood sugar issues. It wasn't necessarily his anxiety or his mental state. It was what was going on physiologically in his body affecting his mental state. The other thing that could be helpful is getting trauma treatment, going to EMDR, going to yoga. I know a lot of people with anxiety, that's the last thing they want to do is do a slow exercise because they feel like it's boring or their brain is all over the place, but your brain might actually need that. Your brain needs to develop that resilience. Learning to manage stress in any form or fashion is always going to be helpful at getting to the root of anxiety as well. The other thing that I really like to use with my clients is source naturals, GABA calm lozenges. This works for a lot of people. I know this, this works for myself. When I have days that I feel like I can't take a really deep breath and like my breath is stuck in my chest, I will have one of those lozenges and within two or three minutes, I feel relief. And so that's another thing you can try all that and see if it works for you. It's really inexpensive. It's like 10 to $15 to get a bottle of that. And that is source naturals GABA lozenges. Okay. So another question that I had was about getting to the root of ADHD. First of all, more time at ADHD because, you know, I've done a lot of episodes on ADHD. I probably have undiagnosed ADHD. I think many of us in our culture do just by nature of how exposed we are to constant stressors and triggers. And it's very dysregulating to the brain in general. But when I hear someone say that they have ADHD, I think about different portions of the brain functioning different than other people. So specifically, I like to think about the connection from the amygdala, the emotional activation center of the brain with the prefrontal cortex, where we control impulses and make good decisions when that connection or that balance is dysregulated Dopamine, which is our reward neurotransmitter and paired with our fight or flight messengers like noradrenaline, norepinephrine, that is all affected. And so traditional treatment involves the use of stimulants, but it's really difficult to get prescriptions right now because they are so highly addictive and you know, keep in mind, they also cause a side effect rate of almost hundred percent and they do need to be prescribed by a psychiatrist. So it can be really tricky to not only just get a diagnosis of ADHD, but get access to the stimulant medication for ADHD. There's also a big concern about what it does to brain function long-term when you're on those medications and does it decrease the ability to experience true pleasure. Some would say that it does. And I think that that's an interesting consideration. So one of my questions when there's a suspected case of ADHD is, are we dealing with ADHD or are we dealing with trauma? Because similar to anxiety, we want to know what's driving this brain dysregulation. Like with anxiety, it might be blood sugar with ADHD. Is it trauma? Is it Toxin exposure again, is it too much sugar or caffeine or food dyes or additives like MSG? Is it too much screen time? Do we have too many notifications going off on our phone at all times? Are we experiencing exposure to blue light way too late at night? That's throwing off our circadian balance. I do believe that there's a big reason we're seeing an uptick in ADHD right now. And I've interviewed many specialists about that topic. Is that it does have to do with screens screens could be creating this overabundance of these symptoms. It could also just look like classic nervous system dysregulation. When someone is in a sympathetic dominant state, like fight or flight, they often will have symptoms that look like ADHD. When it's in a child, I do like to ask about trauma, specifically trauma in utero. Or exposures to exposure to toxins in utero. And I like to ask about bedtime, consistency, parental stress, our kids feed off of our own stressors. And so oftentimes for them, they, they can't store the weight of adult emotions. And so it comes out in a very different way for them and their little brains. When we're looking at nutritional support for ADHD, I think it's really important to look at the gut. How can we support gut health and making sure that We have microbial balances. I do like to run a GI map test for a lot of people because that can kind of show what's going on at the gut level. If there are overgrowth of bacteria, if there's undergrowth of bacteria, and then that can lead us to make some decisions nutritionally and supplementally like through food, of course, getting good nutrition. A lot of people with ADHD will benefit from going gluten-free or dairy-free or both. And they benefit from supplements like omega-3s, magnesium, zinc, L-theanine, and then also making sure to have daily movement. If you suspect you have ADHD or your child has ADHD, make room for playtime. One of the reasons I move my body and I exercise typically five or six days a week, sometimes every day of the week is because it does move that excess energy throughout my body. So I've learned that yoga is really beneficial for moving that energy through my body and for helping to train my brain to regulate better. But I also, I love cardio. I do love running, not at the intensity or length that I used to, because that was very depleting for my body and my adrenals but I like to make sure that I'm engaging in consistent movement almost every day. Cause it does make me feel like my brain is regulating a little bit better. And these symptoms of dysregulation are diminished. And so our kids aren't getting enough movement. Um, I know for my kids, we're even thinking about the summer. They've spent a lot of time on screens because it has been so hot outside. And so we may, we have made time to go to the pool a lot or to my, one of my kids just will do all sorts of movement around the house randomly because he knows innately that his body needs to get that out. And I think it's interesting that he just that's built into him. Okay. The next thing I want to talk about is insomnia and sleep issues. So let's talk about good sleep hygiene. There are so many hacks here. When we talk about insomnia or sleep, a lot of people are like, just give me the solution. Unfortunately, the solution for a lot of people with insomnia and sleep is making lifestyle changes. We really want to make sure that our deepest sleep is happening In the like one to three, one to four, two to four range. I mean, that's kind of a wide range, but that is where a lot of our endogenous antioxidants are working their hardest. The things like sod or glutathione are at their peak concentrations. And so they need to be working to support liver health, liver function, and to be working in conjunction with the glymphatic system in your brain which is the internal housekeeper that's going to help just renew and regenerate your brain cells and keep you healthier and keep you from craving all sorts of crazy things the next day, because when we have poor sleep, it really affects our hunger hormones. And then we're craving things that are not necessarily the things that are going to be the most beneficial for us to have better sleep the next night. And the cycle perpetuates. One thing that's important to note when we're talking about good sleep practices is that blue lights from screens suppress the release of melatonin and that is so so important so as daylight is really really bright outside right we are supposed to be exposed to lots of natural sun during the day and at night decrease that in order for melatonin to go up but what's happening is we're not getting enough natural sun during the day And the availability of natural sunlight is diminishing. And then at night, we're all sorts of overexposed to bright lights that are artificial. And that can really throw off our circadian balance, but definitely throws off the availability of melatonin and the availability of melatonin really decreases as we age anyway. And when we're talking about melatonin, let me be sure and clarify something. A lot of people talk about melatonin as being the thing that helps you to get to sleep. And that's really all we think of is you take a supplement with melatonin, it helps you go to sleep, but melatonin is a hormone. It is also a super powerful brain antioxidant. And so we want melatonin to be activated at night while we're sleeping, because we want our brain, like I said before, to get cleaned out at night and be regenerated. And so melatonin is a fascinating topic. You could go down that rabbit hole if you want to, but just know that the blue light from screens will suppress the production of melatonin. And so we really want to start dimming the lights early, choose calm quieter evening activities that help you to relax. And so an overly activating Netflix show that might not be the thing that helps you to relax. Turn off all bright lights for one to two hours before bedtime. Some would say, yeah, TV screens your phone, don't check your phone for one to two hours before bedtime. This is something that has been the hardest for me to change. And within the last year, just because of a lot of stress that my husband and I have been going through, we have turned off our TV and we get ready for bed. We go lay down and then we just talk and discuss our day. And this can take this whole process of bedtime can take 45 minutes to an hour. And it definitely helps improve sleep. You want to make your space quiet, but not too quiet. So that's where white noise can be helpful or the noise of a fan. You want to avoid amping up your brain with anything that's too intense. You know, I would say stop, stop drinking caffeine after 2 PM for some people after 12. Optimize your ability to breathe through your nose. This is, this is a really big one. You might need an air purifier in your room. You might need to use mouth taping or nasal strips to help make sure that you are optimizing that nasal airway. So you're getting good restful sleep and breathing that is relaxing. You could take a bath with Epsom salts because magnesium will help you wind down. You can drink some kind of a special bedtime tea to help your ritual. You really want to make sure that you're not eating any food at all for a good three hours before bed, because you don't want your body to be worrying about digesting food while you are supposed to be sleeping. You want your body to be doing all the other processes that it does at night while you're sleeping. The optimal sleep temperature is around 67 to 68 degrees. Some of you are going to think that that's too cold or you don't want to do that, but that is an optimal temperature for a lot of people, especially women as we are aging and our hormones are changing and use a sleep mask or blackout curtains create an environment of absolute darkness. So those are all some quick little things that you can do to help improve your sleep. Yes, there are supplements. And I take an amazing supplement that does have a little bit of melatonin. It has L-theanine and GABA and 5-HTP, taurine and glycine, which all help support sleep. But um, it's just starting with the basics sometimes can be the best thing that you can do for sleep. Another question that I got is support for focus. What's the best way to support focus during the day? So many things here. I would say, start your day with some sunlight, tell your brain that it is time to wake up. This helps to regulate circadian rhythm. And it helps to really make sure that your cortisol and your melatonin are working together so that there is a rhythm at play so that later on you're able to relax. Because I think sometimes what can happen is that we have no focus in the morning. And then all of a sudden we hyper-focus at night and then it's all backwards. So get some morning sun get some morning movement that can really help to spark focus. The first part of the day, which is where our focus should be stronger. Drinking something like matcha instead of coffee for some people can be more beneficial because of the L-theanine that is in matcha. Tyrosine is a supplement that can be really helpful for focus. And then if you're just feeling scattered, I already mentioned GABA but GABA can be a really good support for brains that are just feeling overwhelmed or stressed or overly scattered. All right. So another question that I got is how to best prepare for menopause at 35. Well, considering that perimenopause can start for women at 35, this is a great time to start addressing your stress. That would be my number one suggestion is that you need to be able to nourish your adrenals and make sure that you're managing stress and make sure that you are minding your cycle. So the best tip that I can offer is the 10 to 14 days before you start your period. That is considered the luteal phase. That is a good indicator of how perimenopause and menopause will go for you because all hormones can really start to fluctuate during that time. So if you're having really horrible PMS, if you're having a lot of symptoms, or if you're feeling irritable or cranky or depressed or anxious, this is where you want to be extra supportive of your body during that time. That might mean changing up your workouts, making sure that you're not doing anything too overstimulating. It might mean Eating more food, eating more complex carbs, eating more leafy greens, making sure that your body is getting all the nutrients it needs to help support hormone and liver function. Optimizing sleep, like I already said, making sure when you're really supporting a healthy sleep environment is super important because all of that is going to shift. When I think about perimenopause, I think about second puberty (laughs) because you can start, you know, your breasts can get larger, your waistline can get thicker, your energy levels can change, your face can break out more. These are all symptoms that many of us went through in sixth or seventh grade. And then it hits again in the early forties. So doing what you can to manage your stress would be my number one. And another reason for that is when your body is not dependent on your ovaries for hormone production, your body is going to be dependent on your body fat and your adrenals. So you want to make sure that your adrenals are not like totally tapped out because you have been running your body ragged for so long. Now, my last question that I got that I want to address, and I think this is a really, really good one, is what does it mean to go completely gluten-free? Great question. I mentioned earlier that I don't eat a lot of gluten because of the way that it increases enhanced intestinal permeability. And I didn't expand on that then, but I, I do want to share... One of the reasons that, that this is a big deal is that we do want our intestinal lining. We want there to be room for nutrients to get in, right? We need the nutrients, but we want to make sure that there are no endotoxins leaking out. And sometimes what can happen is if our gut lining is breached and the cellular wall is Wider and there are perforations there, then we've got things getting out the bloodstream, like undigested food particles that should not be there. And so the body can mount an antibody attack and your body can activate your immune system to fight against that. That can create inflammation downstream. And so that's another reason that I think it's really important to make sure that we are keeping our gut intact and not promoting enhanced intestinal permeability, but what is it like to go completely gluten-free? I would say go whole food as much as possible. I think this is going to be a whole other podcast episode that would be really good to talk about, but I'll just give just the basics is that, you know, you can have, there are all sorts of things that are gluten-free, like corn I mentioned is gluten-free. It is a grain and can be bothersome to some people, but you can, you know, have corn tortilla chips or corn tortillas, or you can do like the Siete tortillas or chips. Those are also options. The biggest thing with going gluten-free is realizing that you're not having bread and you're not having flour tortillas. And I hate gluten-free bread. I will say it. I think that the ingredients are horrible. I don't think that it's filling or tasty at all. And so it's more of a mindset shift. And sometimes it's taking some time to realize, oh, I feel better going gluten-free. If you feel better, it makes it more worth it. If you're not getting anything out of it, then I can see where it would not really make a lot of sense to keep going gluten-free. So pay attention to the little things. Like for me, brain fog increases when I have gluten or anxiety or focus issues. Gluten can be a big trigger for all of that because of the way that it is creating for some people more inflammation in the body and depending on the state of your brain. Because a lot of times if you have leaky gut, you might have leaky brain and that could be creating problems at the neurological level. So this does mean getting creative, like maybe having more sweeping potatoes or even white potatoes instead of where you would normally have bread for pastas. It's so easy to go gluten-free. I like chickpea pasta anyway, because of the fiber content and the protein content. I feel like it gives a little kick extra kick for my kids nutrition, but there there are lots of different options these days, lots of different ways to be gluten-free. The biggest thing is just going to be the mindset of not having bread. If you like gluten-free bread, great. That's an awesome option for you. I just don't like it. And I don't really think the ingredients are that great. And I don't feel good when I'm eating that many more carbs anyway. So that's the other thing is like, you have to really be able to figure out what kind of carbs that you like and that your body tolerates. And I've noticed for me, when I am not eating a significant amount of carbs, especially carbs from grains. In the morning or at lunchtime i have so much more energy and then when i have some kind of a grain carb like rice or pasta something like that at night then i go to sleep a lot better and my sleep is more restful that's just a quick little ramble about the gluten-free thing but i think that might be a really good episode to have somewhere down the road, because I think that's an important question that a lot of people ask about. So that is it for my ask me anything episode. Now, if you're still confused on what to do, or if you have more questions, book a one-on-one session with me and let's work on some ideas that support you and your family. We all have very individualized needs and make sure to tune in next week when we will be talking to another one of our fabulous experts and have a wonderful week